0: Uh, We're in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 uh, this morning, and uh, we're going to look at uh, most of this chapter. 2 Corinthians 11. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I uh, I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. But such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves... For well, you, bear, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking of as, uh, of as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Uh, these last few weeks in 2 Corinthians, we've uh, been thinking about Paul's spiritual authority And we've been thinking about the right way to boast. And you'll have noticed the theme of boasting continues through uh, our passage this morning. Uh, But this passage is one of the clearest passages in the book where Paul describes his opponents. Uh, These men who had infiltrated the Corinthian church with their worldly views of ministry and who were taking the Corinthians away from true faith in Christ. Uh, If you watch uh, the average Hollywood movie, it's usually very easy to to spot the villain, the bad guy. There are a few kind of indicators. Uh, They'll be very clever. Uh, They'll be merciless. And not always, but usually they'll have an English accent. (laughs) Which is is not very fair. Uh, Some of of my best friends are English. But... um, um, that's the way of Hollywood movies. Uh, this passage, we get something of an identikit of the false teacher. It, it gives us something of the identicate of a false teacher so uh, that the Corinthians uh, can be aware of these, the char- true character of the super apostles uh, who are trying to uh, influence them. And as we listen this morning, uh, so that we can protect the people that we might be serving and that we can examine ourselves to make sure we aren't becoming uh, a super-apostle. So three marks of the false teacher, three marks of the super-apostle. Firstly, most obviously, they preach a different gospel. First three again, I'm afraid that as the servant deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, ...than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Uh, We've been saying these weeks that 2 Corinthians is Paul's most emotional uh, book. Uh, Here he tells us, verse 2, he is jealous. He tells us even, verse 3, he's afraid. Uh, He's jealous for the Corinthians' devotion to Christ... But he's afraid because they're being duped by these false teachers. The battleground is verse 3, your thoughts, your thoughts. We saw a couple of weeks ago that he engages in spiritual warfare to take every thought captive for Christ. Uh, thoughts. Uh, what do you think about? Uh, what do you think about God? That is where the battle is. And that is why clear, faithful teaching is so critical. As uh, Paul says in verse 3, it's thoughts that lead to devotion. Uh, Clear, helpful thoughts about God and Christ lead to pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Distorted thoughts lead to distorted devotion. Actually, in many ways, uh, the most practical thing we can do is to get our thinking about God straight because our thinking will uh, lead, our action will lead, our devotion. But what the super-apostles are proclaiming, verse 4, is a different Christ, a different spirit, a different gospel. Now, Paul's uh, quite general in, in just saying that, different. Uh, but if we look at the, uh, the letter as a whole and the way that he's engaged uh, with these super-apostles in different places, a different Jesus for them is probably the spectacular, wonder-working Jesus rather than Paul's crucified Jesus. And risen Lord. Uh, The different spirit is the spirit of power and ecstasy rather than the spirit of Christ who points us to Jesus. The different gospel is the message of power and present glory rather than Paul's proclamation and living out of the suffering and death of Christ. Uh, Basically, their message is an early prosperity gospel. It's a prosperity gospel. Uh, I think for different reasons. We're probably pretty good at spotting the prosperity gospel. It's been around uh, for a long time, and so when a shiny TV preacher makes outrageous claims about blessing in this life, uh, you know our antennae go up. But the reason the super apostles found an audience with the Corinthians was that their message was worldly, a- and that's the characteristic of the Corinthian church. They're worldly. It was the perfect message for the audience, a worldly gospel to a worldly audience. So thinking about ourselves, I wonder if our particular temptation is not so much the prosperity gospel as the popularity gospel. The danger of allowing the world to control our message so that we don't seem quite as strange as we should. Uh, This came home to me in a very small way uh, when I was uh, uh, at a dinner for some of the dads from the uh, school that my sons are at and there was a long table with kind of dads on either side and there were four of us engaging in conversation and uh, the conversation was uh, going along really nicely until uh, they asked me what I did and uh, when when i told them uh, then the opinions about jesus and religion started to come and uh, some of them were saying things like i think as, as long as we just tolerate one another that's what counts as, as long as we don't insist that we're right I don't think Jesus would have insisted that he was right. You know, it's all about tolerance. Now, this went on for a few minutes, and it was it was very tempting to just be quiet, to not make things awkward, to play the long game with these guys. However, as much as I wanted to, uh, as much as I wanted to, I, I knew that I had to, to speak up. And so I, I said, you know, well, Jesus did say some pretty extreme things about himself. He did say that he was the only way to God. Right, that, that's what I said. Instantly, the mood changed. So the two guys opposite dropped out of the conversation and started talking uh, uh, to each other. The guy next, next to me carried the conversation for a, for a moment. When there was a pause, he got up and walked and sat next to someone at the at the end of the table. So... That was the response to a very gentle um, kind of correction about uh, Jesus and his uniqueness. Uh, The desire for popularity, the desire not to have that kind of awkwardness is very tempting. And the way of the super apostles is the way of success. It's the way of non-confrontation. It's the way of acceptance by the world, of minimizing the differences, of tapping into what we share with the world so that our message is more acceptable. Now, in their particular context, it was uh, this kind of prosperity and success because that's what people wanted. As I say, in our context, it's popularity. It's minimizing our our, our differences, being more acceptable. It's the same dynamic. But the way of the Apostle Paul is the way of Jesus. It is, as he says in Chapter 4, the way of setting forth the truth plainly and trusting the results to the Lord. It is the way of carrying around in our bodies the death of Jesus. Part of the reason the Corinthians are being duped by the super-apostles was that the super-apostles were such good speakers. And relatively speaking, uh, Paul uh, was not. Verse 6, uh, Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. The, the super-apostles might have been great in, in their delivery, but their content is totally off. But but nothing has changed. The reason that false teaching is so persuasive is because it is so persuasive. These super-apostles knew exactly how to persuade the Corinthians. But the antidote is there, again, in verse 4, your thoughts, your thoughts. Good teaching leads to good thoughts, which leads to a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The battle is the mind. The battleground is the mind. A a lightweight, image-driven ministry might be popular... (coughs) but it won't protect. Thoughts need to be challenged. They need to be shaped to be in line with the gospel. All of us, whatever ministry we might end up in, can aim for that, even if, like the great Apostle Paul, we are, verse 6, unskilled in speaking. So the first mark of the super apostle, they preach a different gospel. Secondly, they lay burdens on people. Uh, One of the charges against Paul was that because he preached the gospel free of charge to the Corinthians, he was not worth listening to. In Corinthian culture, first century culture, your accomplishment as a speaker was measured by the size of the fee you could command. So for Paul to preach for nothing seemed to signal that he didn't think that he he or his message were worth listening to. Verse 7, did I commit a sin? in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And When I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. A friend back home was telling me about a Christian conference he was organising, And uh, as he approached a particular speaker, uh, not only was this speaker's fee exponential, uh, he also had a long list of demands uh, before uh, he would accept uh, the the, the engagement. He would only stay in a hotel that was less than 500 metres away from the conference centre, that sort of thing. Uh, that, That is Christians imitating the world. That is Christians imitating the world. But there's something more sinister going on with the super-apostles. They aren't simply being demanding like the world. No, verse 20 shows that the Corinthians were actually being bullied by the super-apostles. Verse 20, you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. In the last few years, a number of high-profile American Christian leaders have had to stand on from their churches... Not because of sexual or financial sins, the, the usual traps, but for bullying their staff and their congregations. And sadly, it's something uh, that doesn't just aff- afflict churches in America. Uh, Sam Aubrey uh, has written a very helpful article about it on the uh, Gospel Coalition website. Yeah, you can you can Google it, it's very helpful. And his basic point is that bullying occurs because these leaders and others don't model their leadership on Jesus but on CEOs and military leaders. Now we can learn from CEOs and military leaders but if they are our exclusive model of leadership that that is a problem and that's exactly what we see in 2 Corinthians. The super apostles have modeled their leadership on the leaders of the world and so they demand honor, they demand submission. They abuse, they enslave, they take advantage of the flock, they lay burdens on the flock. Wonderfully, Paul says, we were too weak for that. Uh, Do you remember two Fridays ago? Uh, Probably not, but if you do, you'll remember Paul says, I I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. The genuine gospel minister does not exploit the people they work with. And and again, this is just a, a wonderful theme that runs through the whole letter. Again, in chapter 4, in many ways, is just the key for understanding the essence of Paul's ministry. So much of what he says in chapter 4 uh, gets to, to what he's about, And he talks about how death is at work in him so that life can be work, at work in the Corinthians. And he says, uh, We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And then he says, With ourselves... And you'd expect him to say with ourselves as Jesus' servants, but he doesn't. He says with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's the pattern of genuine gospel ministry. Not exploiting or enslaving or bullying or building your empire, but laying your life down in service of people. In chapter 4, he has this, just this throwaway line uh, where he, he says, this is all for your sake. The super-apostle's motto is, do what I say. Paul's motto is, this is all for your sake. The authentic gospel minister is meant to be weak. Meant to be weak. Again, uh, look at verse 9. Look how strongly Paul puts it. I didn't burden anyone. I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. The gospel, the authentic gospel minister is meant to be other people's servant. Now, this idea of burdening, though, uh, we can sort of Christianize it. And that is we can lay burdens on people supposedly for their good. We need to be careful here. We need to remember Jesus and Jesus' words, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we need to ask ourselves, are our ministry structures helping people rest in the Lord? Or are they so demanding and burdensome that people are crushed? even if our motives are good. Uh, the, the, the stories of ministers suffering burnout, congregation ministers who are pushed so hard that they lose any joy. Uh, but for the super-apostles, uh, the, the motives were far from pure. Uh, they're laying burden, burdens on people for their own benefit. Uh, but thirdly, and perhaps most worryingly, super-apostles are so dangerous because they look authentic That's the thing. False teachers are hard to spot because they look authentic. Uh, We've just seen they proclaim a false message, uh, but the elements of that message are very similar. God, Jesus, the Spirit, the Gospel. Uh, That's why it's so hard to to, to pin them down, because they can say, yeah, we're all about Jesus. Look at verse 12. What I'm doing I'll continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. In, In a world that's so opposed to Jesus, to hear someone talking about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the gospel... It seems that we have so much in common. It seems churlish to view them as dangerous. And yet the language here is clear. Verse 13, deceitful workmen, disguising. Verse 14, Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. His servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Again, the need is for clear, careful thinking. But it's worth stepping back at this point and remember that as much as there are lessons in these chapters for those of us going into vocational ministry, namely, don't be like the super apostles, uh, these chapters are are written not to a theological college, but they're written to a church. Uh, They're written not to encourage the Corinthians to kind of go on a heresy hunt, but to be careful to, uh, to be careful who they allow themselves to be influenced by. And so for us, we need to be careful that we don't become sucked in by popular distortions of the gospel. Distortions, again, that will be all about Jesus, but not about the, the Jesus of the cross and resurrection, the Jesus that Paul proclaimed. I can think of uh, three good friends. Uh, who, uh, tragically, uh, over a period of of ten years, have uh, not renounced the faith, but have slowly moved away from clear evangelicalism. One on the issue of sexual ethics, one on the issue of the uniqueness of Christ, uh, one on the issue of justification. I'm currently reading a book uh, by an author who graduated from a very conservative uh, seminary in the United States, and uh, he argues that Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, do not present Jesus as the divine Son of God, but only as an exalted human being. And uh, his book is being um, lauded and and you know received among some circles as as this very insightful book. It's, but it, it's so dangerous. I was talking to to George uh, Bishai last night, uh, a PhD student from Egypt. They said this kind of thinking is very popular in the, uh, uh, amongst Arab Christians because it sort of begins to bridge the, the difference between Christians and, and Muslims. Once we start to say, well, yes, Jesus is special, but he's not God, well, then we can start to move in, in that ecumenical direction. It's, it's, it's popular, but it's a distortion of the gospel. And it's tragic. It's popular, but it's seductive and it's deceitful. Uh, tragically, there are graduates of this college who have moved away from the gospel and are believing and proclaiming a popular distortion. So these these verses are a very sober warning for us not to be so naive to think that we can't be led astray. But they're also a wonderful encouragement to remember that fake gospel ministry will be shown up in the end. Verse 15, their end will correspond to their deeds. There will be a day of reckoning for those who preach a false gospel, for those who lead God's people astray. But genuine gospel ministry, the ministry of gentleness, the ministry of warfare, the ministry of right boasting, the the ministry of proclaiming Christ crucified and risen, even if it's not popular, that ministry will last forever. Let's pray. Thoughts led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Our Father, we read these verses, and uh, like the Apostle Paul, we are afraid. We know our own hearts. We know how tempting it is uh, to move away uh, from the gospel and move away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Uh, We pray that you would uh, protect us from that. Uh, we pray that you would always give us clarity of thought that is in line with the gospel as revealed in your word, that for our own sakes and for the sakes of those that we teach the gospel to, there would only be pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And we ask this uh, for his glory and in his name.